Well, good morning. Ayup Miduks, how we how we doing? Yeah, that's what's going off is another one I remember. Uh, I have to warn you, I hope you have the gift of interpretation because I think I've lost most of my English uh, over the last year and a half. But we try our best. It's really great to be here. It's a uh, home for us, really. It's, you know, it's not, I don't know, a strange place that we don't kind of relate to. But it's amazing to see so many faces. You're looking good, yeah? Are you glad to be in church this morning? Yeah? You like the neighbor you're sitting next to? Okay, yeah, great. Okay, good. Great. Well, I bring you greetings from Cologne in Germany. Um, our church is doing well. We're trying our best to move it forward. And it's been amazing what God has done in the last year. Uh, we left in May or June, I think, last year. And uh, yeah, we've just been trying to take a step at a time and um, do something in Germany. It's a country that needs a lot of churches. I think we live in a city that has 2% of Christians uh, or people that would say they have a relationship with Jesus. So I think there's some space for us to expand. And I just, I just wanted to thank you for your support and your prayers. And uh, I think we can do what we do because of you. <laughs> Because Dave is still my pastor and Sarah's pastor. And every time we have an issue, we ring Dave. So I hope that you appreciate your pastors in this church because they are amazing. And they work really hard. And I think it's important to honor our leaders. And so I just want to tell you guys, don't take it for granted that you have an amazing pastor and his wife and the other elders and leaders who are doing, you know, ministry in this church. Because it helps us in Germany <laughs> and it helps you here. So we really appreciate all that you do for us. And it's just amazing. Uh, to share and to see what's going on in Derby and the Hope Center and all you're doing to minister to the city. And I think it's just so incredible to be part of one family in two different locations. So, uh, yeah, so that's great. And um, I just wanted to share a word this morning that's been on my heart for a few weeks. And we're going to study a little bit in the text. I hope you're up for that. Um, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, in case you've never been to 1 Kings chapter 18, let me give you a little bit of the context. The nation of Israel had once again kind of turned away from God, and um, they were starting to worship a substitute God called Baal. And um, the king at that time was called Ahab, and he did some bad decisions in his life. One of them was that he married badly. How badly? Well, pretty badly. <laughs> his wife was called Jezebel, and um, it was more for money reasons than for any other reasons, because Ahab wanted to start to trade with the Phoenician nation, and so Jezebel, she was from there. Um, but Jezebel, she had a different plan because she wanted to do some importing and exporting herself and change uh, gods that they were worshiping Israel to Baal, one of their gods. And so there was a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of like divided uh, division going on. And so um, I entitled my message this morning, The Hidden Cost. And I just want to talk about a little bit about and share a bit of what we're doing about what it really means to see God move, because there's always a cost involved. You know, someone is paying a price. When you see something that God is doing around the world, there are people that are paying a price for that. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about that, because God just put it on my heart as I was preparing. So Ahab uh, did a bad decision. And let me just tell you at the beginning, nothing will influence your life more than the people you choose to do life with. You know, it's, it's quite important to think about that, you know, where what are the kind of people you do life with? Because they will influence your life. And so Ahab kind of made that decision. And so um, out of the blue comes this prophet called Elijah. And he just storms into the throne room <laughs> and just approaches this king. And we don't know where he was coming from. We don't know a lot about Elijah. The only thing we know is that he had a leather belt and that he was quite hairy. 
So he could be a bit like a Chewbacca, I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but... Uh, so he storms into the throne room and says, it will not rain until I, tell, until, until I say it will. And so the king is like, what? You know, it will not rain. So he was really kind of uh, speaking what God was putting on his heart, that actually, you know, the nation is it's about to experience its, its worst drought that they ever had. And so the rain stopped from that day. And, you know, rain in the Bible always has two meanings. It's a sign of God's blessing. Deuteronomy 11:13 says, So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. So it's a sign of God's blessing, rain, really. And the other one is it's... it's it's always a matter of life and death. You know, three years, no rain. Imagine that. The rain would stop today in England. And for three years, it wouldn't rain. I mean, they were at a point now where they had to decide, am I going to use this horse for transportation or, or am I going to eat it? You know, that's the, that's the point that they were at the moment. You know, they were, they were at that kind of point. It was that desperate. W water all of a sudden became such a precious commodity because, you know, they just didn't have any. And it was a, a really bad drought for three years. And I think sometimes God uses this kind of stuff, like situations that are difficult, to get our attention. Because the nation was, you know, split in between Baal and God. And, and I think God wanted their attention. Your problems serve a purpose. Maybe you can tell that to your neighbor. Your problems serve a purpose. Go on. Your problems serve a purpose. Sometimes God allows difficult situations, I think, to happen in your life so that we would seek him. You know, so that we would maybe look out for him again. And so, Elijah's like, all right, I'm sick of all this, you know, wavering between these two dogs. You know, let's have a showdown. You know, let's go up to this mountain and let's see who is really God. And so, we are in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. And it says, so Ahab went, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on the Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, because I think, in, well, it says anyway, that there was a place where they thought the God of Baal would kind of live. So Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets chose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire on it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire for, to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of my Lord. The God who answers by fire, he's God. So they're going to settle it over a barbecue, you know. So see who kind of sends the fire down and, and does it. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. So they go first. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, given them, and prepared it. Then they called out on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And then they danced around the altars they made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. In another translation, it says, Elijah began to mock them. So it's in the Bible. 
I mean, we should encourage more, but, you know, it's in the Bible. Like we can um, shout louder, he said. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. He probably takes the mic, doesn't he? So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Aren't you thankful that our God doesn't require that of us? You know, but our God gave his blood so that we can live. It's amazing, isn't it? Come on, that's good news this morning. You know, he gave his blood on the cross for you and me so that we can live. We don't have to kind of cut ourselves or slash ourselves and give our blood. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes ascending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing because at that point, the, the tribes of Israel were, were divided into the north and the south. And so the ten northern uh, were against the two su southern, you know, Judah and, and Benjamin. And so, but Elijah is bringing them all together on this, on this occasion. He's bringing all the tribes together. And there must have been some awkward silences and just like, well, I don't like, like these people. And, you know, but so they're all together, you know, participating in this. And so he's taking... He's taking uh, all, like a stone from each of the tribes and he arranges an altar. I think there's power in unity. <laughs> this is to be said. You know, this is why the enemy wants to get in between you and your wife. You know, because actually, you know, there's, there's power in unity. And so it's really important. You know, that's why he maybe wants to get in between you and your leaders or you and your church. You know, because actually that's a point where you can really kind of, kind of cut in and, and bring division. That's what he is. You know, he, yeah, that's what he tries all the time. And I think it's really important to remember that, that there's power in unity. You know, there's power in people coming together, generations coming together and building the church. And I think, you know, one thing about Derby, which is amazing, is that you have this incredible source of wisdom. I mean, you're all really wise, I think. But then you have lots of, like, young leaders that you're raising up and sending out and encouraging. And actually, by bringing these two things together, it's so powerful, I think. You know, the creativity and innovation of the, the younger generation and the wisdom and life experience of the older generation, is if both of them sit together on one table and talk about how we should move this church forward, man alive, this is so powerful. And we, we are praying at the moment that we would get some wise people into our church because, you know, it's chaos. <laughs> it's, it's just chaos. And I just have to annoy Dave all the time because I don't know what to do. But it's so powerful, I think, to bring generations together, you know, bring people together. And that's what Elijah was doing. You know, the tribes were divided and he was bringing them together, you know, to just, uh, you know, participate in something that God was about to do. And so, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas, tisias, I don't even know what that is, to be honest, of seed, two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. I think that's amazing. Sorry that I have to keep stopping. I won't read much more. But I think sometimes for us to see a miracle, it's not just enough to go somewhere to receive it, but sometimes it's about repeating as well. You just have to do the same thing over and over again sometimes to see a miracle in your life or to see something improving. 
You know, it's about being faithful and just coming back, asking again and doing it again. You know, we are just preparing. I don't know if this is going to work, but we want to run a marathon next year. And guess what? We have to start running. <laughs> and not just once, but like all the time. And it's, I've done 5K the other day. Five, it's three miles. And I was shattered. And I was like, this is eight times or nine times five kilometers. It's crazy. It's not possible. But you have to do it over and over again, I think, to, to, to see something happening. So the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He prayed. Amazing. Huh? He didn't shout. He didn't scream. He, didn't, he just prayed. Because I think he knew what God can do. He had faith in his God. So he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their, head, he, their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, prostrate face down maybe, and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let them get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. It's just another day <laughs> in a pastor's life, you know. Marrying, burying, and slaughtering 450 prophets. All right, last verse uh, for today. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Father, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning in power. We just thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit, and we just pray that it, he would move freely this morning, that he would... Uh, draw us to yourself. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in here. And I just pray that you would bring it alive this morning to help us live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've just asked a few questions on the text that I just want to share with you in the next few minutes that we have. And it's mainly about the people that were participating in this amazing miracle, this amazing demonstration of God's power. So the people that were around there, standing, watching the, all this showdown happening, were just spectators. You know, they, were, they didn't really participate. The only job they had was to pour water on the wood. That was the only job in the text that we can find. So Elijah said, pour out the water, which doesn't sound like a great idea when you want to start a fire. You know, I mean, I don't know. I watch a lot of Bear Grylls. Maybe you do as well. He is my hero. I have to say that. But, you know, when you hear him talk about how you start a fire, it's not usually by saying use the wettest wood that you can find you know, or, you know, soak the wood in water and then try to light a fire. No. So why, why water? Why water? I think sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make sense to show that he is the God of the impossible. You know, it doesn't make sense to you in the first moment, but actually he wants to use that to show off that he is the God, you know, of the impossible. So you've got people like uh, Gideon. He was fighting, you know, and he had a big army. And actually God said, well, it's too big. And Gideon's like, sorry? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you're fighting 130,000 people, but your army is too big. Okay, so how many shall I have then? 300. Sorry? 300 against 130,000. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't make sense, but actually God wanted to show off that he's the God of the impossible, even though it didn't make sense to Gideon. Joshua, walk around and shout <laughs> you know, six times. 
you know. And then at the seventh time, the whole city will just collapse. Yeah, right. You know, that sounds like a great plan. You know, they're experienced fighters and, you know, you know, tough guys, you know. So they just walk around, like, just marching, doing nothing, just shouting. You know, so sometimes I think God will ask you to do something that is maybe impractical or doesn't make sense to show off that he is the God of the impossible. So, um, we do whatever he tells us. <laughs> You know, go and plant a church. Uh, that doesn't make sense. I've never done that before. You know, but we just do it because it's it's not about the, the actual instruction. It's about who's calling the shots. And so if God says go, you go. If he says stay, he you stay. If he say, you know, do this. And, you know, it's it's not actually about what the instruction is. It's more about who's who's giving you that instruction. And so I think that's really important for us to learn in life. You know, because there will be times in your life when God will ask you something. And it doesn't make sense in the first in the first moment, and actually, he has a plan, and you have to, I, I think, learn to trust him, you know, and so, you just take the first step, and you say, all right, let's, let's pour water out, you know, let's, let's soak this wood, and see what's happening, but maybe, maybe there's more, because in about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so from that moment, there was this huge, I don't know what it was, meteor or something, coming down from the universe, <coughs> consuming this pile of wet wood um, and set it ablaze. So I don't think a bit of water would make that big a difference, to be honest. You know, do you think it would kind of, I don't know, get you 100 more likes on Facebook if the wood was wet or something, you know, because, oh, now, now it's really difficult, you know. Before, it's no problem because it's just like wood and, you know, some bull and, you know, there's no fire, there's a drought. So, you know, but now the, wo the wood is wet, so now it's really difficult. It went from level two to level eight, you know. Well, I don't think so, because actually if this thing comes down from heaven, I don't know what it was, but it must have been pretty impressive, you know, I don't think it made that big a difference whether the water was wet or dry. So the question is, where did the water come from? Where did the water come from? And I, and I heard someone ask that question, and I was fascinated by that, because sometimes it's just amazing if you just start asking questions to, to, to the text in the Bible. So where did the water come from? Where did the water come from? You know, some, if you read commentaries, they say, oh, they went, they went all the way down the mountain, then all across to the Mediterranean Sea, then they took some water in some jars, and then they went all the way back and all the way back up the mountain. But to be honest, like, if you read the text, this has been going on all day. So they were shouting for Baal, you know, from morning to noon, and then it's late afternoon, and now it's Elijah, and he says, bring the water. And then all of a sudden, you know, this amazing miracle happens where, you know, the fire came down from heaven. So the only explanation that kind of makes sense is that the people who were just spectators at that point, that they brought their own personal drinking water and poured it out in those jars. And I thought, what an amazing, what an amazing insight uh, to this text. So Elijah's like, all right, guys, you know, it's my turn now. Uh, we need to fill these jars with water. And then they say, well, we don't have any water. And you say, all right, let's wait then. I've got time. You know, ravens are bringing me lunch. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, we can wait. And you sat down, you know. And, I, and then the guy, one guy came and said, oh, I've got one bottle, you know. So, I, I can pour that out. And, and then the second guy comes and says, well, I, I've got the little camel bag or whatever you call them. You know, these water bottles, you know. And then he poured that out. And so... One person after another from all those tribes brought their water and filled those jars 
And then Elijah takes those jars and he goes to the altar and he just pours it over. And just imagine it was drought. So if it's hot, you know, and you, there's no water, w you know, actually you're very thirsty. You lose a lot of, you're, you're dehydrating really quickly. Ask anyone who's, you know, doing stuff in, in hot places. You need to drink loads. And Elijah just takes it and pours it out. And I bet the people were like, Because maybe that was the last thing that they had left. And he pours it all over this offering. And then he says to them, all right, let's do it again. And he's waiting. And then another person comes forward. And, and they do it. And they do it again. And I just, I, I just think this is just so incredible. And so I think the, 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 the reason for that or the, the principle that we can learn from that is that it's actually giving and not keeping that leads to receiving. It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. Maybe you can write that down. You can, I don't know, tweet it later or whatever you do with that. But it's under 140 characters, so you will be pleased to know. It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. If you forget everything else, just forget that one, that just remember that one sentence. It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. If you hold on to what you have, then that's all you have. If you hold on to what you have, then that's all you have. And so those people were challenged to kind of bring what they had in order to, you know, for God to do what only he could do to perform an amazing miracle. And I just think that's amazing because I came from Cologne this morning to encourage you, church, to bring what you have, to work together, to make happen here in Derby what God is doing, and to pour it out, to pour out what you have. Because the rain came, <laughs> and it didn't just refill their bottles. It refilled the lake, and it refilled the trenches, and the fields and whatever they were storing water in the rain refilled everything but only because the people were willing to give what they had so what do you have what's in your hand right now what can you give because actually i think together it's it's amazing what we can do in proverbs 11 24 it says one person gives freely yet another gains even more another withholds unduly but, and, but comes to poverty. And I love the message translation of that verse. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. What an amazing verse. You know, the, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So maybe you say, well, that's, that sounds great, but to be honest, Tom, I, I just can't afford it. You know, I just... I just don't have the resources to do that. Well, actually, you are in great company because you just qualified for being that kind of person that can show the other people that God is in control and not you. Because actually those people with the water bottles, they couldn't afford it. It was their drinking water, maybe for their kids or for the people around them. But they gave it anyway because they wanted to see God move in a powerful way. And I think that's, that's really important for us to get hold of and understand. And actually the same thing happens just, just one chapter earlier. In chapter 17, if you read it, there's Elijah and he's going to this town and there's this woman and she's just there. And Elijah says, please give me something to eat. I don't have anything to eat. Make me something. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry. I only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left and it's just enough for me and my son to have, you know, a bread. And, and, and Elijah says, don't worry about it. Just make me something to eat and, and you will see. And actually, by doing that, God provided a miracle that lasted the whole famine. He provided enough for that woman to have until the drought was over. Amazing, because she gave what she had. 
It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. If you want two fishes and, uh, you know, what is it? Five loaves and two fishes, that's fine. But maybe you want to feed 5,000. So you have to bring what you have. You have to pour it out. I read the other day, and I found it amazing. It's a quote, and it said, don't pray for <laughs> what you won't pay for. Don't pray for what you won't pay for. In other words, if you want to be used by God in power, and if you want to see miraculous things, don't just come here and expect someone else to do it. Actually, you need to be the one that brings it. You know, so if you're not, I don't know, tithing or contributing to it, don't expect that God would move in your life. Because actually, don't pray for something that you won't pay for. I think that's very profound, because actually that's how God works, I think. You know, if we, if we expect God to, I don't know, do something incredible for us, we need to be willing to, to pay for that as well. We can't pray for God to use us in power and not live pure, for example. Or you, you can't ask God to use you and then feel used when he does. <laughs> Hello. That's one of Dave's, isn't it? Hello. It gets your attention, doesn't it? Hello. Don't pray for God to use you mightily in your life and then feel used when he does. Because actually, it's about pouring it out. It's about giving yourself away. It's giving what you have in your hand to show people and other, you know, nations, whatever, that God is the God of the impossible, that he can do amazing things. So, maybe that's a word for you this morning. Paul says in Philippians 2, but even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. He understood it, didn't he? Paul was amazing. He understood that it's about pouring it out. And so I came this morning, maybe just to tell you that, pour it out. You know, bring what you have and pour it out and see God do amazing things. Because I think the best days of Derby City Church are still ahead of you, not behind you. I really believe that. You know, the impact you're having in the city is growing, you know, and what, what is happening here. And, and people are desperate for that. You know, they need to know that there's a God who saves them. And so you will God use you if you pour it out. Your time, encouragement, resources. I think that is just amazing. So that's kind of what I had on my heart this morning. Maybe the worship team can come back. I just want to wrap it up uh, with a few words. But it is such an, an amazing message that, you know, Elijah, you know, the great prophet, he used the people, he restored unity to actually display that God was doing something really amazing. And I just wanted to... There's maybe a little warning or something at the end. When the rain comes, not if the rain comes, when the rain comes, you hear it before you see it. Because that's what it says in the last verse. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 41. It says, I can hear the sound of a heavy rain. And I just stopped there when I was reading that. I can hear the sound. And it's not like we would say it looks like rain, doesn't it? Oh, it's about to rain cats and dogs, we used to learn in school. I don't know if you actually say that, but it's what we learn in school. Uh, so it looks like rain, we would say. But actually, Elijah is saying, I can hear the sound of a heavy rain. Why? Why did he say it that way? Because actually, it didn't look like rain at all. You know, in fact, he sent the servant out to look, and I think it was six times or something. And he came back. He said, oh, still no rain, still no rain, still no rain. And then the seventh time, oh, yeah, I can see a cloud the, the size of a man's fist, you know. And then the rain came. When the rain of God comes on our land, we hear it before we see it. Because I think he wants to help us to walk by faith and not by sight. 
you know, to actually take a step on the water, which maybe doesn't make sense in the first place, but actually trust that God would do something among us that we can't see yet, but we can maybe hear it because God has planted it in your heart, so he's given you a vision or a heart for something. So when we started the Hope Center, we had no idea how it would all work out and if people would come, if, you know, remember the first days of the food bank, I don't know, and we were sitting down there with other volunteers, no one came. <laughs> it didn't look like rain at all. But actually, we did it again and again and again. And I think today, I don't know how many people you fed. It must be hundreds. It's unbelievable. Because actually, it's walking by faith and not by sight that helps us to, to rely on God more than on ourselves. You know, we, we do that every day. You know, we have no idea about church planting. I have no idea how to do this. You know, it's a white sheet of paper. And I don't know. We have no idea. But we know that people are desperate to meet Jesus. So as long as we can facilitate that somehow and see that response, you know, we just carry on because we know that we're walking by faith and not by sight. And so we don't need to see it, you know, before we hear it. So we're just looking, we're just looking and just asking that God would do something among us. So let's stand maybe together as a church and sing the last song. I hope you could take something out of it. I just wanted to share from the word this morning, you know, we can catch up if you want to hear more about, you know, our chaotic life in Cologne, that's great, and uh, Levi and Sarah are here as well, and Maxime across the road, and um, yeah, it's just great to be together, but I just had this on my heart, that actually maybe God wants to challenge us this morning to think about how we pour out what we have, to actually display something that he's doing in this city, and so when prayer goes up, <laughs> power comes down, that's how it works, you know, it brings heaven's attention to your situation, so why don't we just close your eyes and focus on Jesus this morning. Lord, we rejoice in you today because you're good. And I thank you, God, that you're the God of the impossible. And we seek your face today. We lay down our life, God, and we pour out what we have because we're desperate for you to move in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, God. And I just pray that you would encourage us this morning to bring what we have. Lord, if we hold on to what we have, then that's all we have. But if we bring it, you can do something amazing with it. Thank, thank you, God, for Elijah and the people that displayed on that day that you are the true God. Father, we pray that your will would be done. And we walk by faith this morning and not by sight. Thank you for your word. And we bless you this morning, Jesus. Amen.